our great God here in Psalm 47, being the king of all the earth. As we begin to think about this psalm for a few minutes this morning, just to take a moment or two to read this psalm. And basically what we want to do this morning is just break this psalm down into two different parts to think about it from, uh, make two different points uh, from this psalm for us to consider. The psalmist begins Psalm 47 by saying, Oh, clap your hands, all people, shout to God with a voice of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob, whom he loves. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with a shout of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a skillful song. Uh, God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God, he is highly exalted. I don't know, and maybe you do, but I don't know the exact event that was going on in the psalmist's life. I don't know the exact occasion that prompted the sons of Korah to pen this particular psalm. One writer, though, I think sums up the, the thought of Psalm 47 very well when he said that from the first word to the last word of this psalm, this psalm is communicating to us the excitement and jubilation of an enthronement, and the king is God himself. And so maybe if you can kind of keep that thought in your mind as we uh, think about Psalm 47 this morning, we're thinking about, as the slide here has, the king of all the earth. We're thinking about the earth praising Jehovah God as being king. As we think about God being the king of all the earth, first of all, I want us to think about the extent of the king's reign. And you can look at the verses that I have, especially here on the screen this morning. We're not going to go back and read these particular verses, but just maybe as we're talking about this particular point to, to look at in your Bible, or at least in your mind, what is said to us about the extent of the king's reign in verses 1 through 3 and 7 through 9. So the very beginning of Psalm 47 and then the very end of this psalm. I think as you look at these particular six verses, you'll, you'll find that in these verses really woven throughout this psalm are several phrases that describe the extent to which God reigns over the earth. Notice in verse 1, he says to us, encouraging, urging, instructing all peoples to clap your hands and praise to Jehovah God, that God is the God of all peoples in essence. In verse two, he describes God as being the Lord most high. He describes him as being a great king over all the earth. In verse three, he says to us that God, this king over all the earth, subdues peoples and nations. Down in verse seven, again, he describes him as being the king of all the earth. Verse 80 says to us again that he reigns over the nations, that he is reigning as he is sitting on his holy throne. And then finally in verse 9, he says to us that the shields of the earth belong to God. You think about a shield, maybe that's, that doesn't really register with us from a military standpoint today because we're 
more into high-tech weapons, I guess, but a shield would have been something that would have protected uh, a man who was out fighting on the battlefield. So the, all the protection of the earth belongs to God. Maybe you think about a shield as being power, a symbol of power, and all the power of the earth belongs to God. And you see all of these phrases here in these verses in Psalm 47, and they're all pointing to the same truth that God is the king of all the earth. Who, who was the original user, if you will, of this psalm? Well, it was Israel, wasn't it? It was God's chosen people under the old covenant. What was the original use of Psalm 47? I don't know exactly, but presumably it was God's people, the Israelites, using this psalm as they use many psalms in worship to God. Although God was, in a very real and special sense, the God of Israel. You know, how, how many times as we read through the Old Testament do we find language like this, that God says to his people, I will be your God and you shall be my people? And of course, that language is translated or carried over into the New Testament, the new covenant that we live under today, that God still has that desire to be our God and for us to be his people. And so in a very real and a very unique special sense, the Israelites looked at God as being the God of Israel. But I believe Psalm 47 reminded them, as it reminds us, that God is much more than that that God was and is and always will be, as we're speaking of this morning, the king of all the earth. He is not just a, a tribal king. He is not just a territorial king. He is not just a king of one nation or one people. No, God is the king of all the earth. His reign, as this psalm reminds us very well, his reign is over all peoples. His reign is over all nations. And as we read, not only here in Psalm 47, but as we read throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, we find many passages that remind us of that fact and tell us that God's throne is in heaven. God's throne is not here upon the earth, which means that God sees everything that goes on here on this planet. He's, he is looking over all creation. He sees the activity of all of his creation. He is ruling in the affairs of mankind. You might remember some language like that in the book of Daniel, as Daniel had an opportunity to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. You might remember in Daniel chapter 4 that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has called all of his wise men, his counselors, his advisors together. He had had a dream, and he asked them to interpret the dream. And those wise men, supposedly wise men, could not do that. They didn't have the power of God behind them, but Daniel did. And so he called Daniel in and Daniel said to, the, to King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, I wish that, that I could tell you that the interpretation of your dream applies to someone else, to your enemies, not to you. And we're not going to really talk about that dream much, but just in giving the interpretation of that dream in Daniel chapter 4 at verse 24, this is what Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beast of the field and you be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you. This is what I want you to really pick up on this morning for our purposes until you recognize that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whomever he wishes. 
Some of your translations may say, maybe some of the older translations say, until you, Nebuchadnezzar, he thought of himself as being king of all the earth, if you will. <laughs> he thought of himself as being the most powerful man on the planet at that particular point in history. And in many ways, he was from a human earthly perspective. But here was Daniel, God's prophet, God's messenger, God's servant coming and telling the most powerful man in the earth, there is one who is even greater than you. There is one who is even over you and he is the most high God and he rules in the affairs of mankind. God again is over all. Daniel understood that particular truth about God and he was warning this man and he said, you're going to learn because God is going to humble you and he's going to humble you until you learn that God most high rules he, and he alone is ruler over all nations, all of mankind. As we come back to Psalm 47 then, as a psalmist says to us here in verse three about this one who is king over the, all the earth and he subdues peoples under us, talking I think about those who were Israelites, God's chosen people and nations under our feet. Yes, although God often defeated Israel's enemies, didn't he? You know, he wanted to, them to be very clear when they went in and they defeated a particular nation or even as they went into the land of Canaan and they were driving out the foreign peoples that lived there. God wanted them to remember that he, is, he was the one who was responsible for giving them the victory. Lest they get the big head. <laughs> lest they become too full of themselves, which Israel often did and thought, hey, we, we have done this. We have taken this land or we have driven out these people by our own might and our own power. No, God wanted them to know that it was his power. But even though God did that many times over, he wanted Israel and all the nations to know that he was not just the God of Israel, but he is king of all the earth. The picture that the psalmist is painting for us here of God's universal reign, even during the days of Israel, I think it surely should point our minds to the time in which we live. And it was pointing to us, looking forward to a time, I believe, when, as the writer says there at verse 9, as he closes out this psalm and kind of sums up that whole thought of this psalm, is pointing to a, a much greater time, the time when Christ would come. A time when, as he says here, the princes of the people would join together, if you will, the people of the God of Abraham. They would now be one people. And they would be one people over whom God reigns through his son, Jesus Christ. We, we know, as we look at a lot of Psalms, not every Psalm, of course, is messianic. And I'm not suggesting to you that Psalm 47 is, is overly messianic, like a number of psalms are. But I believe here again, the psalmist is looking forward to the time of Jesus the Christ being king over all of his people. We know as we read through the gospel accounts, Jesus came to earth. He lived as a man. He spent three or three and a half years uh, trying to preach the good news about himself and trying to bring people to himself. But after dying on the cross, after rising from the grave, then we know that Jesus ascended to his father and there he became king over all the earth. He became king over all people, especially in a very special, unique sense. Again, people who would submit and subject themselves to him 
It, it wasn't just for those who were Israelites. It wasn't just for those who were Jews. But now that was open to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Many, many passages that we could look at along these lines this morning. One I want to take you to uh, very quickly. and Maybe I'm getting a little bit behind here on the PowerPoint. But Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse 11. Here is what Paul writes. He says, For the Scripture says, Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul is making the point here as he's... We remember, I think, the early part of the book of Romans where he points out to us that, yes, in chapter 1, those who were Gentiles... They've obviously left, left God. They've gone off in, their, in, a, in a different path. Uh, they're not living a, a, in a way that pleases God or subjecting themselves, submitting their will to His. But then we come to chapter 2, and, chap, and he says Jews have pretty much done the same thing. They have sinned. And then he comes to chapter 3 and verse 23, that all of us have sinned. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. But the remedy for that problem of sin is found in Jesus Christ. And now Jew and Gentile is God's desire that all be made one in the body of Christ and that Christ be our King. In Jesus Christ, of course, in passages like Galatians chapter 3, we find that all people, again, who have faith in Him, the kind of faith, the, the degree of faith or the, the same uh, character, if you will, of faith that Abraham had, had that all people, Jew and Gentile, who have faith in Him and submit to His will, that they can become people of the God of Abraham. Just notice a few passages here in, in the book of Galatians in chapter 3. At verse 6 beginning, uh, Paul writes, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand, beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. And then at the very end of this chapter, drop down to verse 26, Paul goes on to remind them and us that you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ or put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants or seed, heirs according to promise. doesn't matter, again, whether you were born a Jew or not. <laughs> if you have a faith that is the kind of faith, the quality of faith that Abraham had, we can be God's people. We can become people of the God of Abraham. And Christ is our King. And so as we think about, you know, again, coming back to the psalm that we're thinking about this morning, Psalm 47, the sons of Korah obviously were Jews. They, they were writing this before the time of Christ, before He came to earth. And, and maybe those who were Jews, as they sang this particular psalm or read it in worship to God, they uh, were looking at it or reading it from a Jewish perspective but I believe it was looking past that time and not just thinking about some earthly, physical 
kingdom or nation that has territories or lines or boundaries as far as a physical piece of the earth goes, but thinking to the greater kingdom, that is God's spiritual kingdom. And we know that the spiritual kingdom of which Christ is the king has no national boundaries, does it? You know, we, we, we don't draw lines on the map somewhere and say, here is God's kingdom. It, it, it goes beyond boundaries that man may make. As we've just read in these and many other passages that we could look at this morning, God's kingdom, the kingdom of which Christ is the king, it's open to any, it's open to all of every nation who come to him through his son, Jesus the Christ. And so although God is king of all the earth, again, he, he is king in a special sense, in a unique sense for those who are citizens of his spiritual kingdom, where, whatever nationality they are. They are his people. They are his church. So that's the extent of the king's reign. As the Psalm 47 tells us, he is king of all the earth. Just to think for a few minutes about our response to this great king. As the psalmist here is showing the extent of God's reign as king of all the earth, I think the psalmist throughout this psalm shows how we, you know, all people, because all people have been created in God's image, but especially, particularly God's people, how we respond to the great king of all the earth. Number one, the psalmist says to us that we Rejoice. Look there at verse 1 again. He says, Oh, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with the voice of joy. Here the psalmist is instructing not just, even though these are Jews, the sons of Korah, not just those who are the chosen ones of God, the Israelites, but he's encouraging all peoples, all nations to join in rejoicing in the king of all the earth. This theme of all peoples, but especially, again, God's people, rejoicing in Him is found uh, throughout several other psalms. Just to notice a couple of these quickly, many, many references we could give this morning. Uh, Psalm 66, verses 1 and 2. Here the psalmist says, Shout joyfully to God all the earth, sing the glory of His name, make His praise glorious. And then from Psalm 95, with a similar uh, thought here. Psalm 95, the first three verses, here the psalmist writes and he says, Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For, this is why, the reason why, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Because God is who he is, because God is the king of all the earth, because God is the one who is reigning over all nations, all peoples. This is why we must come before him and rejoice. We must come with a joyful attitude. As we're thinking about Psalm 47 this morning, again, maybe think back in your mind to that uh, original thought. It's not from the, the text itself, but from someone who is making some comments about Psalm 47, to just picture in your mind, you know, this scene. If we can just picture maybe on a physical, earthly level, picture a great and mighty king. We're really not too familiar with kings in this country. I mean, our country started because we were trying to get away from kings. But this was very much the, the kind of government that those 
who were living during the time when Psalm 47 was written were accustomed to. But if, you, if we can picture in our mind this morning this great and mighty king, he, he is walking through the streets to the, the, the claps, the, the shouts of joy for all the people, from all the people. He, he ascends to the palace and he takes his rightful place there sitting on the royal throne. You know, here are all the subjects again lining the streets of the palace. They are celebrating his arrival. It is just a, a, a time of great rejoicing. It's a joyous occasion indeed. Everybody is excited. Everybody is enthusiastic. They are hopeful. They are anticipating this man is going to be a great king for us. Well, there are a lot of earthly, quote, kings, whether they are truly called a king or not, but those who are in positions of authority and power over nations, there are a lot of earthly kings that we know their character. And we would say of that particular person, they don't really deserve that kind of response from those who are the citizens of their kingdom. They don't deserve a response like that from those who are subject to them. And that is oftentimes true. But I would also suggest to you in terms of Psalm 47 that the one who is king of all the earth certainly does deserve that kind of response every time because of who he is. And so we need to ask ourselves as, as citizens in his kingdom, are we truly rejoicing in God? Are we truly rejoicing in the one who is king of all the earth? And not just as we are together this morning in this setting, as we are collectively uh, offering worship and praise to the king of all the earth, but in our individual lives every day, are we taking joy in God? We should be people who are rejoicing in him. The second response we need to have to the king of all the earth is that we need to fear him. Notice what the psalmist says in verse 2, for the Lord most high is to be feared. Once again, why? Because he is a great king over all the earth. We need to fear God. We need to revere God. We need to tremble before him. This word fear is kind of interesting. We don't have time to go into all, all of how it's used throughout the scriptures this morning. But sometimes we read that word and we think we're, we're just you know, shaking in our boots. And I think there is a sense maybe in which we need to have come before God trembling before him because of who he is and who we are in relation to him. But more than that, I believe the word fear is, is used in the sense that we need to come before God with a reverence. We need to come before God with an awesome respect for who he is. He is Lord Most High. He is king of all the earth. There is none like him, as we have already sung this morning. Go once again to another psalm to just kind of, kind of reiterate this particular point or reinforce this point of who God is. Psalm 89, beginning at verse 5. The psalmist here says, The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are named, who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you? O mighty Lord. There is none like him. Again, as we've already sung this morning, there is none like him. None can compare. No God his equal, no prince his heir. 
There, there is no earthly king. There is no earthly power. There is no earthly might to whom we can compare Jehovah God. Therefore, we need to fear him. So we need to ask ourselves, are we rejoicing in God, but also are we fearing God? Are we living our lives every day in reverence to God? That doesn't mean that we, that we walk around with a somber face all the time. Because again, we're to be rejoicing in him. At the same time, we need to revere him. And thirdly and finally this morning, the psalmist says to us in Psalm 47, that the king of, as we come to the king of all the earth, we need to sing praises. Verses 6 and 7, he says, at least in the New American Standard, with a skillful song. That phrase, sing praises, occurs five times here in just a, a couple of verses, two or three verses. So that is the emphasis of the middle section of this song. psalm, is that we need to sing praises to the one who is king of all the earth. Uh, this term, skillful psalm, or maskul, uh, it's translated to understanding in several translations that you may be reading from this morning. It really suggests the idea of wisdom and skill, that we come before the Lord and we sing praises to Him with wisdom and skill. Another writer says about this phrase, skillful psalm, uh, that it is the idea of a song that teaches others about the Lord. And as we think about, you know, we have a number of psalms, songs in our psalm book, just like I'm sure the, the Israelites did, as you read the collection of 150 psalms. I mean, there's, there are psalms of praise. There are psalms of, of uh, suffering. You know, there, there are all different genres or types of psalms. And so it is in our psalm book today. Not every song that we sing, perhaps, is we're teaching each other about God or about Jesus the Christ. But a lot of our psalms do that. So, so the psalmist, I think, is repeating this uh, repeating this particular thought of we need to sing praises to God, but we need to do that in a specific way. We need to do that with a skillful song. We need to do that with wisdom. We need to do that in a way that we can teach one another about God and we can learn even in our singing. Uh, just one example of this from Psalm 100, uh, verses 1 through 3. The psalmist here says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. For we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We recognize who God is. We fear God. We revere Him for who He is. And we come before Him rejoicing, but we come to sing praises about him, even as we sing to one another. We, we know the passage, I think, very well in Colossians 3 and verse 16, where we have the instruction there that we are to be teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we're singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And so there in, in that verse in the New Testament, we find out that the words that we sing as we are teaching and admonishing one another, they are very important but also the attitude that is in our heart as we are singing praises to God, that we're singing with this thankfulness, this joy that is just overflowing and coming out in our lips. And all of that as we're teaching one another and as we're thanking and rejoicing in God, that in all of that, we are pleasing Him. And so we need to ask ourselves the questions as we sing praises to God, whether it's in this setting, collectively or individually, 
throughout our daily lives, are we doing that in a way that God is magnified, that God is glorified? Not that, that we ourselves are magnified or made to appear larger and bigger and better and more powerful than we are, but in a way that God truly is glorified. Uh, we, we need to take a lesson, I think, from Psalm 47, as we can find elsewhere in the scriptures, that, uh, that God is not just the God of the United States. <laughs> God is not an American God. No, God is the king of all the earth. And we need to take comfort in that fact. So when we look at our world today, as big of a mess as it is, we need to remember that God is the king of all the earth, that, that God, I believe, is still sitting on his throne, that God is where he has always been. He's still reigning over the nations as we speak this morning. But in Jesus Christ, he is reigning even over his chosen people this morning. And so as we're about to dismiss to go to our classes, just to keep this thought in mind, maybe it will tie into what Brent's going to talk to us about here in the worship period this morning, to just think about this is, is God your king? He's king over all the earth, but he wants to be your king personally. And he can only be your king if you are subject to his will, if you are living your life in a way that is pleasing to him. So let's keep those good and grand thoughts in our minds as we study God's word this morning and as we worship him together. Thank you so much. Let's go to our classes now.